Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Well, good morning. My name is Tony. Your name is? <laughs> it's good to see you all this morning. Uh, good to have you. We are jumping right in this morning. We've got a lot to cover. And uh, so I'm going to just ask you to turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 20, begin in verse 25 and work through to the end of the chapter. We're continuing our series called Bonafide. Looking at what a true bona fide faith looks like, not a superficial one. And Jesus is the one that's preaching the message to his lifetime there in the northern parts of Israel. And what he was dealing with was a culture that had been developed over hundreds of years by the religious leaders of their day and prior that it's all about the outer, you know, making the good impression. Making sure that people see you as that righteous person. And then, not to be like falling short just with that, they carry it over into their personal lives as well. That it's a lot about the concerns of the exterior issues. And what we learned last week uh, when Tyler, our uh, middle school leader, uh, was sharing is that where it says in Matthew chapter 6 verse um, 20, it looks like 22, where it says, like, if, if there, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 21, I'm sorry. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what we, we were learning last week is that treasure can take on the form of many things. In fact, it can take on the form of things that are good. Where we value our children, we value our, our parents, we value our friends, we value our jobs. We value our possessions. We value our churches. We value our life groups. We value our skills in the arts or, or perhaps even in the sports. But wherever your treasure is, your heart is going to go there. And the treasure can be anything that you value significantly. And what Jesus ends up saying in verse 24 is that eventually what's going to happen is your heart is going to be planted somewhere based on what you value. You're going to love one thing and despise another. And, and Jesus actually put a line in the sand and used the term money as one side of the sand, the line, and on the other side being God himself, saying that you cannot serve both God and money. And money was not meaning just currency alone. It was things you treasure greatly and you value. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
So if we take Jesus at his word, that if there's something that is so valuable to be to you, and then therefore your heart is going to follow after it, how do you self-assess where your heart truly is? Well, you look like a good doctor. You look for the symptoms. What are the symptoms telling you where your treasure is? So you can ask yourself some questions. So if I'm trying to decide, is my heart with God or is it with things on this earth of value? Um, and so is it there or there? So ask yourself, what do you worry about? First question, what do you worry about? What consumes your mind? What triggers your anxieties? These are good questions to ask to figure out like where your heart is because where your heart is, your treasure is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And symptoms will arise and it usually shows up with worry. Think about it. Over this past year, what typically dominates your thoughts? What dominates your posts on social media? What dominates your conversations between you and other people? Is it about your rights? Is it about your politics? Is it about the things you're enjoying doing? What are your worries? What shows up? What consumes you? What's your narrative? I mean, that's where it gets into, where it reveals truly what you value the most. And it's a problem if it's not about God. Think about this. When it comes to the issues of politics, if I was to just mention a couple of key issues, what might it trigger in some of you? Anger? Fear? Will you be able to hear the rest of the message because I said that word? You get where I'm going? Is that there, That's probably one of the hottest buttons we could even mention this morning. Don't get me started about things about how you might feel in regards to the virus. That's like a dangerous topic if, unless you want to stand for a long time to listen to somebody. It consumes many people. So where are your treasures? What do you value? What comes out of your mouth more quickly? What would people know you as if they only knew you for the last 12 months? These might be evidences as to what your values actually are and therefore where your heart actually is. Jesus makes a statement in this text that I believe is quite frankly stepping on my toes and likely stepping on the toes of everyone here to some degree. When I say this statement, I want you to know that it comes from Jesus himself. Worry is a sin that reveals what actually consumes you. Worry is a sin that reveals what consumes your mind and therefore reflects the values of your heart. Let's begin in verse 25 to see where I get that from. 
Jesus has just finished saying in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's the evidence of what your values are. You cannot serve both God and money. One of them you're going to love and one of them you're going to hate. Therefore, he says in verse 24, therefore I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Let me stop there. So, therefore, always tells you, in light of what he just said, there is something that that indicates. It leads to. So if where your treasure is, there your heart will be. It's the revealer of what you value more than anything else. You might say, I value God more than anything else. But why is that maybe not the most evidential if somebody was to study your life? Because it's one thing to say something than it is to actually be true. You will see what consumes a person's minds or thoughts, that which comes out of our mouths, is the true indicative of what we value. And worry, this word worry in the Greek actually means consumed mind or preoccupied thoughts. So worry is a consumed mind. It's preoccupied with a, some key areas and therefore, it's not something that necessarily is about God. And it could be things that are good. Again, I gave you a list of things that are all good. Family, children, friends, jobs, all essential. Our skills, all good. But when they become what preoccupies your mind and what consumes your thoughts, it's entered into sin territory where it reveals where your heart actually treasures, your value systems on display. I have felt this tension more as a parent than I did even in my own individual life. We want what is best for our kids, and we want to make sure that they achieve their ultimate ceiling. It's, it's like a shame society that if your kid's ceiling is perceived as this, but you only gave them opportunity that got them to hear. I saw this in sports as a coach as we were trying to make decisions as to what kind of baseball opportunities we have our son become a part of. He had some talent. And we, we were told, you got to get on this travel team. You can get on this travel team and, and play here. And, and we began to realize at some point, where does faith come in? Because it would get squeezed out. Church would become something in the rearview mirror for, for years, quite frankly. The tension was relentless on this issue. I'm not saying we did it all right, but I know what it feels like to keep up with the Joneses. We don't want our kids falling behind. We spend thousands of dollars to invest in whatever talent they might have. And we get concerned when they have a bad moment. Oh, that might not help them get the scholarship we really want them to have. What we've also discovered now that our youngest is in college is that the amount of money we spent trying to get our son a scholarship is 
less or more than the scholarships they'll actually receive. It's just true. And so it's fascinating that what motivates us to invest and invest and invest. And then when I was a youth pastor, then to hear parents complain when we charged $200 for a three-day retreat, when I know that many of those same parents were paying $500 for a one-day baseball clinic. What do you value? The evidence is in your decisions. The evidence is in what your mind is consumed with. What you pronounce with your mouth often is about what's a reflection of your heart. And Jesus knows that the number one likely symptom of somebody whose values and treasures are not aligned with God is a person who is consumed in mind and thought with things other than God and it shows up as worry and anxiety. The religious leaders at the time of Jesus were so concerned with their own pursuit of material possessions that they were beginning to overthink even the basic essentials such as water, food, and clothing, making sure they had the best. They were so concerned about these physical things, which are essentials. God says we need to eat, we need to drink, we need to be clothed. He even protects us from taking from one another, as we've looked in the text, from taking needlessly from somebody's ability to be clothed and to find drink or water. But when those things become so valuable to you where they consume your mind and they take over your thoughts and worry is reflected in that, it's become sin. These leaders were so concerned with the superficial that they were missing out on their own spiritual condition and state. They were consumed with an outward appearance at the cost of their own spiritual condition. And for that matter, they were completely unaware of the state of the spirituality and health of the people they were serving. Jesus says at the end of verse 25, just taking even the bare essentials that we know we need, water, food, and clothing. And Jesus says, is not our body more than this? Is not life more than just food and the body more than just clothes? Those are just sustenance, but they're not the meaning of our life. The things that we're good at are the, our contributions to society, but they're not meant to co-opt our ability to serve other people. We filled up our lives so full in what we do that the ability to serve is rendered impossible. We have spent so much of our resources that our ability to be gener generous in a moment is impossible because we have nothing left to give. Some of us are so caught up with our expenses that we've made plans for doing everything we can to get the house we want or the car we want that we have nothing to offer God even in tithe, which should go first. Our values are on display by the decisions of our lives. And our decisions are often a reflection of a consumed and worried mind. I remember being in an accountability group of guys. This was about 20 years ago. 
And in this accountability group, one of our friends, we were talking about, because we were looking at the text and we were talking about tithing. And one of my friends said, yeah, we just, we don't have enough money to tithe. Uh, We just got, everything costs so much. That person was in their young 20s and had just bought a several hundred thousand dollar home and had cars that were super expensive that only people that were much older than us could drive. What had happened was is they took care of themselves first to the point where they had nothing left to give. What does it look like then to trust God to say, we give you 10%. We tithe up front. We trust for the rest in the end. And then you start seeing that God blesses people that he knows are going to use their resources well. Why would he give more and more to somebody who continues to take and take and take and never have margin to give? Why should God bless such a person? Meanwhile, some of the most stressed people I know have more financial resources than most of the people I know. It doesn't seem to change or solve anything to get the big pay raise, to finally get the house you've worked for. What I've seen is it just continues to increase the worry and anxiety and the spinning of the mind to make sure it all works out. Jesus compares the concern of this with birds. Birds can't plant. They cannot create the harvest but they take advantage of the work of others and they work to feed and God provides. They don't even build big nests assuming that next year's harvest won't go well. They just simply take what they need and they trust their creator for tomorrow. Jesus closes this kind of line of thinking here in verse 27 where he says, do you really think, do you really think that you will add to your life anything by worrying? Or being consumed? Will you add an hour to your life by worrying about something? And the understanding is, of course not. If you've learned anything about worry and anxiety, it's a, it's a stealer. It takes from you. If anything, it might even be taken away from the length of your life. I've known people that worried themselves literally to death. The worries of this life consumed them. It did not add to their life. So yes, worry is a sin that reveals what actually is consuming you internally. But worry also reveals a lack of faith in God's provision. Look at verse 28 and following. It says, and why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet, I tell you, that not even Solomon in all his splendor, and by the way, Solomon was known as the best-dressed man of all time, that yet Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed like these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is only here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more take care of you, clothing you? And then Jesus says, O you of little faith. Jesus sees it as a faith issue. When we worry, we're trusting in our ability to somehow wish away the concern. Worry is consumed with the idea and the pursuit of making something become as you would like it to be. 
Think about it. When you worry and you're constantly thinking through over and over, rehashing, what are you believing in that moment? You're believing that if I keep thinking about it, at some point, the aha will happen and it will go away. But we also know subtly that's not likely and that's not usually what worry accomplishes. But yet we continue to be consumed and it spins like a cycle inside of our mind. Jesus intentionally uses the word spin when referring to these flowers. They don't spin to look like the way they do. They're not like just constantly churning it over to look like what they do. That's what worry does. Worry and anxiety is constantly churning on the issue that is concerning you and trying to make it become as you would like it to be, only to find it continues to stay the way it is. And Jesus calls it out. Worry is a lack of faith in God's ability to provide. You of little faith. We start believing we can do it. We can provide for ourselves. We can make it better if we just think about it more and more. But as Jesus says, who by worrying can add a single hour to your life? We've learned worrying can create physical and spiritual issues. Jesus has just said, it's going to cause an issue of faith where we do not trust in God's providing for this situation. We hold it into our hands. There's no way God can fix this. So I've got to keep working through it, and maybe I can come up with some kind of answer. But this goes on for days. Faith is growing dimmer and dimmer. The physical issues are growing stronger and stronger. To get real with you in this moment, I'm going to invite you into our household where my wife and I went through a season of time where the sin of worry consumed us. And its manifestation was significant. So I'm going to invite my wife up here to join me on stage. And let me tell you, there is an interesting dilemma in this moment to have my wife, who does not like doing this, to come up here to talk about worry and anxiety. This very much in and of itself created a little bit of concern. So... She is doing this as to give glory to God, but to also be helpful to all of us. So about uh, 20 years ago now, <laughs> doing the math, uh, to be exact, about 19 years ago, uh, we went into an interesting situation and season in our household that lasted a handful of years. And it produced something in us, and it revealed something in us that was not healthy and good. And so, Kristen, would you kind of take us back to around 2002, when we hit a major crossroads in our journey, and uh, about faith in God's provision, or the lack thereof, and would you share what was affecting us at that time? So, at in 2002, we were faced with um, three big financial burdens. Um, our home needed a new heat system. Our main vehicle needed a new transmission. And I needed some um, major dental work done. 
And so all of those pieces were really weighing on us financially and um, certainly in me creating a lot of worry. Um, the other piece that was significant at that time was we were facing the reality that our daughter's cognitive delays would be a lifelong challenge. And so adding that to the other um, just made for this huge mountain um, that I really struggled to face. And so to give a little bit more context to that, uh, we had just left one church to go to another and in the process of transitioning in churches, we had just bought a home before feel, feeling, sensing God's call to this other church. And so the economy had tanked during that time. We put 20% down on that home. We walked away owing on that home. We lost everything. And so then we go by faith to this new church. And then all these things happened. And then some of the concerns for our daughter. And so it was a large mountain in our eyes. And it revealed some things about where we weren't healthy uh, in the journey. And so why don't you just kind of take us, what was going on inside of you at that time that began to wreak havoc not only on the spiritual side of things, but the physical? So I was trying to control the situation in my own strength. And I was not um, allowing God the space to move and work. In, in our circumstances. Um, I was being consumed by the worry of how am I going to do this? How are we going to do this? And it, it was crippling to me. Um, my faith was truly crippled and it was just a very low point in my spiritual journey. And before I ask the next question, I, again, just a little bit more of the picture. As much as I would say, well, man, you're operating by you know, God's will to go to a new church and, you know, all these things happen. Where, you know, where was God in that? I need to also tell you that prior to leaving the, the first church, we had kind of convinced ourselves that because we were sacrificing for God and the way we were being paid in youth ministry at that church, that we had justified not tithing. And so we were not operating in obedience to God, and our margins were completely taken up so that when something did happen, not only could we tithe, not tithe at all, uh, which we were already just tithing lightly, we were now like in a situation where we couldn't even handle a storm. And so it had really culminated into a high point. Then there was a turning point uh, for us that, uh, where everything kind of came to a head. So why don't you share a little bit about that? So not only was I struggling um, spiritually through this time, but physically this was really wreaking havoc on my life. Um, I was struggling with constant headaches, stomach issues, and even some numbness in limbs. And it was a vicious cycle of feeling the physical symptoms, Worrying about that, worrying about the other circumstances, creating more physical symptoms, and it, it just was spiraling down. And the turning point that Tony is talking about happened when um, I had a physical episode, um, I'll call it that, that landed me in an ambulance um, in a trip to the hospital where they were running tests to determine what 
what had happened. Um, and after you know, the test came back, it was declared that I had had a panic attack. And that was the first of a few of those that I had. Um, I had no idea what was happening to me in that moment. It was very scary. And when we went back home after that, that was the point where I realized that something needs to change, that I can't do this on my own like I'm trying to do. I need God to intervene here and to help me. And so I cried out to him, and he was there. So on my side of this journey, I'm at work, and I get a phone call from Kristen that she had just been on the floor uh, lying in the kitchen, unable to move. She felt completely numb and paralyzed. And, and I said, well, where are you at now? She goes, I'm, I'm sitting in a chair. And I said, I'm coming home. So I came home, and I saw her. I realized this is not good. And so I called the ambulance, and, you know, they take her away. And then I'm hearing the doctor's report on her, like, we're going to test her for MS, which was something that was part of her family, histor historically speaking, and, uh, and other things. And we're just like, oh, my goodness. We've already got all this other stuff going on. And then now... I'm looking at, I'm not, we're not sure what's going on in her life. And, and, uh, and I'm just crying out to guys like, God, I, this is relentless. I, I don't know if we can stand up any longer. And, uh, and so that day with her being taken away in the ambulance was a big day for me as well. So, uh, um, so in this, we learned a, a lot about the provision of God. And so... What was it that God, God took us on a journey. So what did God instill in you? What was the change? And then how can you look back over the years and then see how it was much different when you were diagnosed with cancer four years ago in that journey? And how can you compare the two? So I am just so grateful for God's work. Um, he can meet you where you are. He can be the lifter of your head. He can heal you. And... The way he did that for me was um, in, in helping me take my focus off myself and put it back on him and giving him the space, the space to provide for us and to meet these needs and these circumstances that we were in. 2 Corinthians um, 10, 15 says to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. This was a big um, scripture verse for me during this time as I was learning how to hand these things over to him. When I would have those anxious thoughts and, and try to control the situation, I would ask for the strength to give it to him. Um, that was the first part. I, I needed help to just give it over. And... And then I would ask myself, is there anything that I can do about whatever it was that was consuming my thoughts in that moment? And if there was, I would ask for the strength to, to be able to do it. And then I would do it. If, if there wasn't anything that I could do in that moment, I would ask for the strength to rest in giving it to him and letting him take care of it. And... That was a, many times a day I would have that conversation with myself and, and with God and, and work through those thoughts that would creep in and try and take over. And through that, um, I was learning to not only believe in his promises that they were true for me, but 
to be able to actually trust that they were true and that he would provide and care for us. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 um, talks about the freedom that's found in the Spirit. And um, that was really becoming a reality for me, that you can have that freedom and not the burden of the cares of the world, um, that, that God truly is with you and you are not alone. Yeah. As part of applying those verses, you, you had to come to a practice of, if the worry comes, how are you going to handle it? You know, is there something you can do in the... You want to explain that real quick for me? Yeah, and so the cancer journey um, certainly brought that to um, fruition. Um, I, I was just so grateful that I had had this amazing God to walk with me through that um, and that we had had this history of learning how to give the worry to him um, when faced with cancer. There are, certainly is fear um, that steps in, but it did not consume me, and I felt like I was able to walk that journey filled with hope and peace because I knew that he was fighting for me, um, that, that he was victorious, that I was walking alongside him in this, that I wasn't alone trying to fight that battle by myself. Um, there were scripture verses, again, I mentioned those promises to believe in and know that they're true. In Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Joshua 23, but you are to hold fast to the Lord, your God, because the Lord, your God, fights for you, just as he promised. These scriptures and promises and many more were what we stood on um, through cancer. And I'm just so thankful that we have such an amazing God that walks with us in these hard things and that we can give all of our cares and worries over to him. And another verse that was really um, profound for us and, and kind of our mantra, we had written this on our kitchen wall, is Psalm 31.3, which says, since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. And it, it was allowing God to move and work in our lives, not for us, but for him and for his glory, the glory that he would receive in, in that. And we were just blessed to be a part of that. Yeah. So I, I think one of the striking things for me watching the difference between where we were at 20 years ago to where we were at four years ago was that before when trouble came, you know, it was more like you just poured over it and poured over and poured over it and tried to get your head around it. And prayer was kind of tacked on at the end. Whereas now it's like, you pray over it. If there's something you can do now, you do it. If there's something you cannot do now, you give it over to God because he can do it in his good timing. And, uh, and just trusting God for tomorrow. Um, our house was so different in those 16 year span. The other things were just simply life challenging. But when we were dealing with cancer, it's life-threatening. 
And yet, the life-threatening season was a season I look back on as peace and filled with so many things of wonder about how God is doing things. I don't look upon it as a season of stress in our lives. It was a season I don't want to repeat. (laughs) But it was not a season that was destructive for us. Whereas the other season, which was simply a a compilation of several things, it was like it, it nearly did us in because we kept trying to figure it out on our own. We didn't entrust ourselves to God. And so we began to become obedient to him on all areas of our life, not only in the things that were there. If we can't deal with it, if we can't do something about it, you know, it's God territory, you know, and, and we let that happen and then become faithful with the things we do know. And we began to tithe, we began to trust him, and things changed. And, uh, and so I couldn't be more grateful for the promises of God that we were able to trust in that changed our home. Um, and so I'm truly thankful and thankful that you were willing to share with us this morning. Thank you, Kristen. So how do you get to that place? We all struggle with worry or anxiety to some degree. Some of us significantly. Others of us maybe not so much or or as evident because I don't have a real strong worrying bone to me. But if I'm going to be completely honest, there are things that are very easy for me when provoked to consume my thoughts, which, yes, can become worry. It shows what I value much that I don't like disturbed. And I become harsh, unloving towards other people when those things get touched and stepped on because it's not dripping with the priorities of God. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging by just saying, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. He goes on in verse 31 and says, so Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So worry gives us the opportunity to reconsider how to realign our values set. So worry can be defeated if you're willing to go on and look and say, what are the things that have truly become the treasures of my heart that consume my mind, that make me think way too much about what are those things and what do, how do I apply God first before those things? Worry gets defeated by a realignment of such things. So what you value is the defining trait then of distinguishing the difference between Jesus and a pagan. He says in verse 32, he says, pagans run after the things that you are worrying about. So if our value system looks different from pagans, then it's, you're going to see that there is a definitive difference between the things that concern us or the way they concern us versus those who would deny the existence of God altogether. When our value system is corrupt, 
then our worries, our behaviors, our spirit is no different from a complete pagan. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You'll love the one and hate the other. You can't love on them both. At some point, you have to make God's priorities your own. His priorities becoming the focus of your mind. Think about the things that were undoing my wife, the situation with our daughter, our home, our vehicle, all things that are essentials in our society, a medical issue. But it was that they weren't under the faith in God's ability to intervene. They were in our hands. We were controlling them and we were consumed with making it work. While all the long, during that time, the priorities of God that he would love us to be given ourselves to were being neglected because we were too consumed with our own situation. We lack margin in our lives because we busied ourselves with other values. We have no time to serve. We have no time to be generous. We have no time to give. We have no time to give just a simple opportunity for somebody who's hurting to give a listening ear. Why? Because I'm busy. I don't have time for that. Our value systems are messed up. Verse 34, Jesus makes this statement that I think is so profound. When he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow uh, will happen as it is. Because today has enough to be concerned about. Which gives me this statement I want to give to you. To write down, to take a picture of with your phone. And it's this. Trust God with tomorrow's outcomes. While you serve his purposes today. I think that's what's been very impactful upon me as I've studied this text. If we simply trust God for tomorrow's outcomes while serving his purposes today, the things that would consume our mind with anxiety or worry are in the best hands possible. God doesn't desire for us to be undone by our worries. He wants our faith to rise where we can begin to see his handiwork and all the things that we do care about on this earth. And I do care about my wife, my children, the things I do in serving as a pastor at this church. Yes, I care that my vehicles operate so I can get to and from. Yes, I care that my roof doesn't leak. But if those are the things that consume me, I will miss out on God's purposes today. Let's pray. Father God, realign our mind and our heart. Forgive us for being consumed by things that while they may be important, I think everything I said today that can become sin of worry or value does have value. We just have it in the wrong order. Forgive us. We are creatures prone to wander. We're prone to try to control. We're prone to believe that we can wish it 
our way. But we do so at the cost of healthy relationships with you and with others. And with a joyful life being robbed of us because we're consumed. So now turn our hearts to that which is most important and gives us confidence for how we can live under promises as we remember the work done on the cross. We're going to enter a time of communion together. And many of you grew up in a church where there was a physical table at the front of the stage. And if you recall, that table had a phrase on this, and it said, do this in remembrance. How many of you grew up in a church that had such a table? Do this in remembrance. Why are we to replicate doing communion? It's because we're prone to forget that which we should treasure most. We should treasure most that we have a God who loved us, that in spite of our sin, and while we were still sinning, he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And that that death and resurrection provides us life, a purpose for living, and a God, a Father God, who provides love and care for tomorrow when we cannot control what comes ahead. And because we're prone to forget, Jesus gave us something so that we won't forget. That our minds will remember that which is most important. So prepare your hearts now by being grateful to the Lord Jesus Christ for all that he's done. Being mindful for his work, the importance of his work, and what that might mean for you. I give you a few moments here of silence to have that time between you and the Lord of remembrance. At the table, the night of Jesus' betrayal. But beyond that, a night where he showed the fullest extent of his love. Jesus held up bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Take in remembrance of me. Let's do so together. Then sometime later at the table, he held up a cup filled with the fruit of the vine, and he said, this is my blood, which is of a new covenant. He was declaring himself to become the all-sufficient Lamb of God. 
So by his blood, our sins of the past, present, and future are taken to the cross, redeemed, and then we're made white as snow. This becomes us when by faith we receive it. So all those with faith in the all-sufficient work of Christ take together. God of Israel, Jesus the Messiah, to you and by your spirit I pray that you will continue to do a work in us to give us freedom and liberty of our souls that we're not walking as burdened people but as liberated people. Not consumed with the things of this world, but consumed with the idea that you want to do amazing work in our lives and through our lives. And that is all made possible because of the work you did on that day. Surrendering to death on the cross. And then on the third day, rising from the dead because you're the victorious king by whom now we have by the death and the resurrection, we can die to ourselves and come alive in you and live a life free from worry because we claim the promises of God and we live by the purposes of God. So we celebrate you and we worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand as we have remembered the reason that we're able to be before the throne of God today. Let's turn our eyes towards him and his redemption.
perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory behold him there behold him there the risen lamb my perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable Matthew 6, Jesus says, if you seek my things first, then the rest of the things that might create worry or anxiety or care for us, God takes care of. Part of preparation for this morning, God gave a prayer. To my wife that I pray will bless you because I recognize that worry and anxiety can riddle and cause great harm. It can separate relationships. It can keep us from a place of health where we can help others in the midst of the duress that maybe even the concern is about. So receive this prayer and then I'll close at the end. Let's pray. Lord, for those struggling with worry and anxiety, I pray that you will help them to take the focus off themselves and focus on you. May this be their prayer. God, this thing that I am facing or this situation that I am in is scary, and I know that you are victorious and that you are my provider, that you are the great physician, and I am going to trust you to be that for me. I am going to let go and give you the opportunity to move in this situation and be glorified. And I thank you for what you are going to do. I thank you that when I am weak, you are strong. Help me to rest in your truths. Lord, use this to make me more like you. Lord, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. 
it is so comforting to know that I, in my own strength, do not have to do this. You are the victor, and this is your battle. Am I scared? Oh, yeah. But I'm going to hold tight to you and take these fear-based thoughts captive and place them at your feet and ask you to take them from me. And I'm going to focus on you and rejoice that you are going to uphold me with your righteous right hand, and you are not going to let this fire consume me or these waters rush over me. This journey of life helps all of us to not only know in our minds that you are the provider, the healer, the victorious one, the protector, the one who upholds us, the one who fights for us, and so much more. Lord, this life helps us to experience that you are all of these things. Thank you for walking with us, for not leaving us alone. May you be glorified in our lives. So Jesus, we commit ourselves to your promises, your provisions for today, your purposes for today should be what's upon our minds and our hearts. Help us then to trust you for tomorrow. So we commit ourselves to you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to pray with someone, maybe there's a burden upon your heart, we'll have people in the encounter room that's to my left, your right, they'll be glad to pray with you. My wife and I will also be up front. We'd be glad to talk with you as well. We just want you to be able to find the joy and freedom there is in Christ, not being tied up in knots on the inside. God's a liberator, and Jesus is the one who came to do it on that behalf. Amen. You are dismissed.